Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. It's The Advertising Show. Welcome back to another weekend here with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. The Advertising Show being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show, a big radio midgets production. And a very special guest today, his name is Phil Dusenberry. And beyond being Brad, the, uh, the the gentleman known as the one who set Michael Jackson's hair on fire, uh, he's uh, done a lot of other great things in his lifetime as well. He's the former chairman of BBDO North America and then author of a book, How Ironic, Then We Set His Hair on Fire. What a concept. How are you doing today? Doing great. And uh, a wonderful uh, guest. We've had him on the show before, as we all, as you and I know, Ray, uh, for our new listeners that may not be familiar. I can't remember exactly when, but as I recall. It's been a while ago, Brad. Yeah. Yeah, it was a few months before his retirement. Yeah. Uh, we were talking off the air with Phil uh, a few days ago and uh, anxious to, to hear how the retirement's going. But uh, from what I can tell, he's hardly retired. Oh, really? Well, you would expect yeah. it of someone like him, huh? Well, he said he was going to relax, so we're going to have to. Yeah, figure out how he's getting his relaxation. You and I both know that that means a whole bunch of different things to a whole bunch of different people. So, right, uh, whatever that is. We've got uh, Patrick Meyer with us today, CMO Imperatives, some good stuff there. Joe Jaffe is with us talking about blogs this weekend. Jeffrey Gittimer has, well, did you ever get the, the, the statement from somebody, you know, all those good ideas are used up? Well, how <laughs> untrue that is. And yeah. if you think that, you need to uh, reconsider. Uh, also, Andy Borowitz with us, The uh, Wacky World of Marketing with Bruce Abbott, our executive producer, and uh, a whole bunch more, too. So it's a, a whole bunch of stuff happening in the two-hour period here. And, of course, we play commercials from time to time, too, as well. Right. That's a good thing. So how's your yeah. week been? Well, it's been very well and uh, doing great. How about you, Ray? Good. good. Absolutely yeah. wonderful week. We like to mention uh, on the uh, – and by the way, before I get into this, I understand uh, uh, your favorite, the new announcement, uh, Michelle Wee, the uh, PGA uh, phenom who just joined the PGA, I guess, is right. making her debut this week, right? Yeah, she's in um, – I don't know what the state is. It looks like a desert state, and it is the – Oh, gosh, what is it, uh, Doug? I'm trying to think. It's something, it's a world classic or something. Hmm. She was uh, earlier today eight strokes behind the leader, which is really incredible. The child is 15 years old. After yeah. that, she's going to get a study hall and uh, finish a Samsung World Championship. Okay. And uh, how's she doing, I think by she the way? Just, I think she just turned 16, right? Like 16. Within the okay. last few days or whatever, yeah. And, and already in the seven figures in terms of earnings. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? Can you imagine? Fourth place. Nice, uh, you you reported a week or two ago about the big deal that uh, announcing her signing with Nike and of course as well as Sony. Mm -hmm. So before she even picks up a club at the, competing at the P, in the PGA, she's making ten million a year. So oh yeah, I think Daddy and Mommy are moving into a new place here. You uh, think so? Soon, I would hope. I could just see Daddy's new boat. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Yeah. She's in fourth place. Uh, Sorenstam is up there at the top, uh, right? 18 under, so she's in fourth place. Yeah. She's eight under, okay. You know, no news to uh, any of our regular listeners here on the advertising show. Newspaper readership is down, hello, and mm -hmm. uh, fewer fewer younger people are picking up the newspaper. No news, news there. Uh, but this just out, the average age, this kind of blew me away a bit, the average age 
of a newspaper reader, Ray, yes. is 55, according to the, the average age. Corporation. <laughs> yeah. okay. uh, many papers have been losing circulation at alarming rates across all age groups. Of course, newspaper profits and the stock prices uh, of many companies who own newspapers are also down during the first half of 2005. The biggest newspapers are cutting staffs, uh, closing foreign bureaus, and mm. taking other steps to meet their owners' profit goals. I think profit goals is a stretch. How about just cut the bleeding? Yeah, really. But uh, deep thinkers have, have prophesied for years, Ray, that newspapers are on a glide path to irrelevance at, at the very worst, uh, extin- mm-hmm. extinction, uh, extension, extinction at yes. the best. So right. we'll see what happens. And some of those newspapers are getting smart and, and saying that uh, let's give our readers some uh, some opportunity to catch us on the web because that's the best place to find it right now. You know, it's interesting you, you say that because there's that, and you're right, that's where newspapers need to really focus their attention, and they're, they are, and they're, they're picking up some revenue in that uh, new channel. But what's interesting, Ray, and what I've seen lately, and I don't know if, you, if you've come across this, but I'm seeing a lot of uh, newspapers out there offering new ways to advertise in their paper, and whether it's uh, watermarks or various configurations of ads that you would not have seen uh, a few years ago. But to me, it's like, okay, now that you're losing audience and losing market share, you're going to come up with an innovative way to put your ad in front of a dying group of people. I mean, yeah, I don't understand. Well, the door's I mean, already is, open. The cow's already got out. Yeah, the horse is out of the <laughs> barn, as they say. Yeah. But I don't understand. You know, it's kind of like your innovation of trying to uh, uh, cater to a uh, an advertiser that may be looking for a new way to communicate their message in a different way, a more uh, interesting way, seems to be, you know, happening at an hour in which uh, the value of that is not what it could have been five, ten years ago. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, newspapers definitely. Uh, we got to rethink there. You still have the bird? Yeah, but we normally just use the the uh, the the, uh, the paper sacks from the grocery store as opposed to the paper because we don't get the paper, Brad. Well, we don't get it. but your bird was so uh, close to the sports page every week. The comics, yeah. <laughs> comics, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna check in. We, we've got uh, Patrick Meyer with us uh, before we get to our interview uh, today with uh, Phil Dusenberry. It's Patrick Meyer on the Advertising Show. Welcome to Understanding the Future Now. It's the Marketing Insider featuring Patrick Meyer. Today I'm going to talk to you about what I call the CMO imperatives. A few weeks back, we had 12 of the best and brightest CMOs across the country. They included David Berwick out of Pepsi, Jim Schreier, X Chrysler and Ford, Tom McDermott, Western Union, Howard Handler out of Virgin, Carol G out of DuPont. Reggie Fisame out of Nintendo and a bunch of others. And they created eight imperatives coming out of it. Let me share them with you now. Number one, as CMO, you own the issues and have the responsibility for the solution. Don't blame anyone else. It rests with you and your team. Number two, start with a growth band-aid to provide focus and inspire the change in the organization. Number three, take the roadblocks head on. This is not just a marketing ad spending issue. It is a business system issue. Number four, lead your own jazz band. Recruit a team of marketing partners to surround you and your consumer and play great song. Number five, seek fresher, deeper, more immersive insights into the now consumer. Number six, link insights to action. Number seven, 
breakthrough ideas are the only currency that matters. Continuous innovation across all marketing is a requirement. Lastly, number eight, invest for relevance and reach. Spending marketing dollars only in programs that reach and impact your consumers. Here's what I would ask you to do: think about that list. Think about how do you go forward in a new way. If you're on the agency side, how do you build this kind of thinking into what you do? Because that's what your clients looking for. You've been listening to the Marketing Insider, heard every week here on the Advertising Show. Join us next week for more insight into the future of marketing. This is Patrick Meyer, CEO of Now, and remember, the marketing revolution has begun. For more, go to nowinc.net. It's the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Just about to join in conversation with Phil Dusenberry, uh, former uh, 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 chief, the big guy at BBDO North America, and we've got him on. Uh, we're, I, I would assume, Brad, that he's in uh, New York. I would imagine well, this weekend. You remember? Uh, yeah, it was 2002. As I looked it up during that uh, piece there from Patrick, and mm-hmm. uh, remember when we talked to him, he was at, out in the Hamptons. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Apparently, he's going to be back there, or he is there right now. Right so there, we'll, okay. we'll verify that when we get him on the phone. Well, hopefully, it's a nice day in the Hamptons. You yeah. know? But uh, yeah. he's re- he was uh, the person responsible for turning BBDO into the creative powerhouse it is today. Uh, as an influential uh, creative, uh, do some very elevated advertising into a form of entertainment with a commitment to emotion, humanity, and unwavering energy and verve. 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 I like that word. We're going to have Phil on in just a minute and a whole bunch more for the whole two hours here on the advertising show. It's Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe. By the way, you ought to go to the website as well. You can check that out. It's theadvertisingshow.com. It's got a whole bunch of great stuff. Stick around. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Schillens and Brad Forsyth. Good morning. Are you not my daisies? Right, Mother Nature. They're Chiffon's new daisy servers. Taste. Oh, it's my sweet, creamy butter. Nope, it's new chiffon margarine. Chiffon has the fresh-churned flavor of butter. It's chiffon margarine, not butter. Oh, it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. If you think it's butter, but it's not... That Mother Nature. She's very old now, by the way. Still looks good, though, for her age. You know, uh, uh, Phil Dusenberry has a well, actually has has the, uh, the the Ford Explorer that he's driving out to the Hamptons, but he had a U-Haul because when you have as big of a collection of Addis, Clios, One Show pencils, Gold Lions, and so on and so forth, you need a U-Haul to carry that stuff around. He, he displays it out there for friends to come over and take a look at. I don't know if this is true, but I'm just saying that. Phil Dusenberry began as a copywriter at BBDO in 1962. Brad, you were just a young strapping boy there. Well, just right. young. Uh, Phil rose up the ranks to chief executive officer, then to chairman and CEO of BBDO New York, finally chairman of BBDO North America, and last but not least, BBDO the Universe. After more than 30 years with BBDO, Phil uh, retired as chairman of uh, BBDO North America in 2002, which, which you just said, Brad. Brad and uh, t- in 2005, Phil released his book entitled, Then We Set His Hair on Fire. And if I read any more, we won't have any time to talk with him in this short segment. So, Phil, it is so good to have you back on the advertising show. Thanks well, for joining us. Back. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, and Ray and I have often said you're one of our favorite uh, interviews looking back over over 200 interviews over the past four years. And, uh, gosh, we're, we're very honored to have you uh, join us back uh, on the show. What have you been up to since your retirement in 2002, Phil? Well, 
Well, actually, I'm uh, been keeping pretty busy. Uh, you know, the, the trick is not to keep too busy, but uh, I've been doing quite a few things, actually. Well, of course, finishing up the book took a, took about a year of my time to, you know, really put that together. And um, and since then, uh, I've been involved with things uh, uh, at the Ad Council. We're getting ready to launch a, a fairly major new campaign sometime either in the fall or early next year. And this will be a brand-new campaign uh, based around a uh, sort of a working title, which we have right now, called Generous Nation. And the whole idea is to get people from all walks of life to really contribute on an ongoing basis to the, uh, to the plights of Katrina and, uh, and Rita and all of these disasters which uh, tend to happen from time to time, and we don't know when they do happen, but uh, it, it's, it's just a campaign that's going to really raise awareness of our need to not only give money, but to give help, to volunteer, to do the kinds of things that help people in their communities and so on. We saw witness to that in New Orleans and Mississippi and Alabama. And this is just a campaign that's going to uh, really uh, help boost awareness of this. And uh, we're going to be tapping in um, to the creatives at various uh, agencies around the country, probably four or five or six of them, depending on who's available. and. Uh, depending on who really wants to, uh, you know, pitch in on this. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we've read about uh, the branding of of America over the past several years, and it's been argued that uh, uh, we could have a better brand image, uh, certainly uh, worldwide, uh, as uh, Europeans and others look back at America. Is this an outgrowth, a generous nation? uh, Is this a bit of an outgrowth of the rebranding, if you will, of America? Or will this uh, message be exposed worldwide? Is it more... National? What is the? Uh, I think it's on? mostly national, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm not certain uh, if it has any kind of global implications. But uh, you never know. But yeah. for now, it's going to be strictly a national campaign, and it's just really designed to, uh, you know, get people to really uh, do a little bit more than perhaps they they are doing, and they'd like to do more, but sometimes they just don't know how. And this campaign will sort of, uh, you know, lead people to a website and uh, get them to sort of instruct them as to what they can do to help out in their various communities. Well, uh, please uh, keep us posted or have the Ad Council uh, keep us posted on uh, when that campaign comes about. And please give our, best to pe- give our best to Peggy Conlin, a former yes, guest here on the show yes, that indeed. heads up the uh, Ad Council. Right. How would you describe your uh, your book, uh, Then We Set His Hair on Fire, in terms of, uh, you know, is it, a, is it a business how-to? Is it a memoir? What, what exactly is it? Though? Well, as the subhead says, it's uh, Insights and Accidents from a Hall of Fame career in advertising. And mm-hmm. essentially, um, you know, it's a book about insights. It's the insights that make for great companies, great brands, successful people. It's how to spot a great insight, what to do with it once you got it, how to turn it into a great idea. And it's the kind of book I think uh, people could uh, appreciate no matter if they work in a large ad agency or work in the marketing department of a large corporation or run a couple of laundromats in Kansas City. It, uh, it has an appeal, I think, that because everybody in any kind of business needs a good insight from time to time. Well, that, that, that would, that's what drives, that's what will drive your, your, your company to bigger and better things. Yeah, well, that was my next question. So uh, advertisers, big, large, and small, can uh, benefit from this book. I certainly would recommend it. I had a chance to read it last week and highly recommend it. And you mentioned insights. Uh, 
it sounds as if it's a setup here, but we didn't rehearse this. Chapter 4, the Insight Resume that you uh, identify uh, getting in touch with uh, your own personal insights. And you have one group there, a listing of some, uh, how many is it here? Well, it's uh, 24 24 of your Insight Resume uh, listings here along the lines of what is my first insight you remember, what is your best insight, and so forth. And what caught my attention was number four. What was the problem it solved? And it says here, and this is you speaking, it taught me to be realistic at a young age and detoured uh, uh, me away from a potential life of rejection. Yet you got in the advertising business. Isn't there something <laughs> conflicting there? <laughs> what do you mean you, you, you detoured you from a life of rejection? Well, Isn't advertising all about rejection? Actually, uh, partially it is, and it's also about <laughs> approval. So it's true. It's 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 a fifty fifty deal. Um, yeah. The um, my insight, uh, as I had mentioned in the book, that I had wanted to be a major league baseball player. Yeah. And then discovered somewhere along the way that I wasn't quite as good enough as it took to be a major league player. My size was against me and uh, a few other things. And um, my inability to hit the curveball. But uh, nevertheless, um, I chose advertising because it was fun and it was exciting. And uh, while it is filled with, uh, you know, potential rejection, I, I think that sort of... Uh, you know, sort of drives you to do an even better job and mm-hmm. challenges you to 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 get out there and do your very best. And and while indeed rejection is part of the game, you hope that there will be more approvals than there are rejections. What a great attitude to have after beginning a career in 1962. One would think that you would become a little bit tainted after all that time. <laughs> but you, it sounds like you got a great attitude, Phil. You know, well, thanks. The funny thing was, I had when I had gotten into advertising. Um, and worked in my first job uh, in the agency business, which was at BBDO, um, I had come out of radio. I had been in the radio business, um, working in various aspects of radio. And uh, the one thing that I had difficulty with was learning how to write for the eye, that is television, mm-hmm. as opposed to just the ear, which is which is radio. The whole but, new learning experience there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, in radio, you're, you're, writing, you're writing the kind of things that paint pictures, and, of course, uh, radio does that better than, than anything because it forces you to use your imagination. Hang on to that thought, Phil. We've got to take a break here on the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. It's the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, and Brad has his honeydew list uh, this weekend, so he's using Ajax around the. He missed a little bit in the bathroom there, Brad. Yeah. How embarrassing. Uh, well, no. it is embarrassing. We have, we have Phil Dusenberry on the show with us today for this hour and next hour. Phil is the former chairman of BBDO North America and author of Then We Set His Hair on Fire. We'll tell the tale of that in just a minute. Right now, what I want to do is check in with uh, Jeffrey Gittimer here on the advertising show. 
quick takes on sales and customer relations with Jeffrey Gittimer, nationally syndicated columnist in the network of city business journals and other great publications worldwide. If you're offended by common sense commentary, don't you dare listen. Now, here's Jeffrey. For those of you who think all the good ideas are taken, look at the sport of ice hockey. It's more than 150 years old. The hockey goalie mask is only 30 years old. Wouldn't you think that someone would have come up with it in the first 120 years? Finally, one guy, Jacques Plant, got tired of getting hit in the face with the puck. Hello. And once again, necessity became the mother of invention. Yes, he created the first hockey goalie mask. There's a ton of other equally obvious ideas out there. Your job is to be thinking about them. There were millions of people who knew the game of ice hockey, but only one who imagined a better, safer way to play it. And uh, beware of the ridicule factor. Wherever your great idea is, or whatever your great idea is, there'll always be somebody ready to throw cold water on it. Ignore those people. They're idiots. They're just jealous because they have no idea of their own. Study the history of creativity in your industry. In order for you to figure out what's going on today and project your brilliant ideas into the future, you need to have a firm grip on what happened yesterday and why. As an expert in sales, the books I find most inspirational were written somewhere between 50 and 70 years ago. There's always a new wrinkle in something old. Quick takes on sales and customer relations from The Advertising Show, the only radio show in America featuring Jeffrey Gittimer as a regular weekly guest. To learn more about his books, tapes, CDs, and speaking engagements, log on to Gittimer.com, G-I-T-O-M-E-R.com. And tune in next week when we'll hear Jeffrey say, This is Jeffrey Gittimer reminding you that if no one responds to your ad, it may be because your ad sucks. And with that said, we bring back <laughs> Phil Dusenberry. <laughs> Gee, what a glorious introduction that is, Phil. Welcome back to the Advertising Show. What a what a cue. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, unfor- you know that uh, all guests uh, follow that, so it's nothing uh, special that we no. uh, narrow down for you. By the way, you talked about your uh, desire to want to be an, a major league baseball player. A lot of young people growing up certainly aspire to that. Uh, left for another show. Ray had a desire to want to become an exotic dancer at a young age, but we'll mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk about that at another time. But, I think that's uh, illegal, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, uh, but as a, before we jump into your book here, uh, as an aside uh, from our last interview a few years back, we know that uh, at that time, New York office of BBDO handled the Yankees. Do they still handle the Yankees? Uh, actually, uh, we really don't because the Yankees discovered something, uh, which I'm sad to say, is that they really didn't need to advertise. The, the, the newspapers did that for them by writing up their games every day mm-hmm. and they just broke their record this year with over four million uh in attendance and i think they discovered they really didn't need an ad agency per se well does and, uh, roy elvo still have a line on tickets for you yes we do we still and yeah. i personally have a box at yankee stadium so anytime you guys want to go just say the word 
Wow. And when you say you guys, you don't mean our entire audience. You mean me and Ray. Right. Just <laughs> okay. Right. I just wanted to clarify that. And, yeah. and, you know, Can you get some Houston tickets, Phil? <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> well, Phil, uh, Ray and I will take you up on that, and we will re- we will pull the uh, digital uh, lift of what he just said, Ray, and take us take that with us if we ever need to. Uh, I have no problem with that. That's fine. Bring we'll take that it up to the box office. Yeah, we'll uh, call. In your, yeah, in your book, uh, and by the way, as that kind, generous offer uh, that Phil just made for his Yankee tickets, I want to tell our audience to please go to Amazon.com and, and buy Then We Set His Hair on Fire by Phil Dusenberry, uh, published by Portfolio. Uh, great book. If you're in advertising or if your business has to advertise and what business doesn't, this is a book you need to read. In your book, Phil, you address the differences between insights and ideas, and to many that may sound like a similar idea, but you suggest that there's a big difference between the two. Explain yourself. Well, um, there is a difference. Um, there are lots of ideas floating about today in business and in the advertising business in general, uh, but an insight is a much rarer and much more precious uh, commodity, and it's not really a commodity if, if you come up with a great one. But um, and while an idea can inspire a great commercial, a good insight can fuel a thousand ideas and a thousand commercials. Uh, but the difference essentially is an insight is finding that nugget of truth about a particular brand and allowing that to drive all of the ideas that follow. Whereas ideas are executional ideas, commercials, headlines, theme lines, whatever. But an insight is finding that nugget of truth, that nugget of enlightenment, if you will. It sounds highfalutin, but it's true. And, and, and it's that truth that somehow captures the very essence of a brand, the very essence of a product. And once you've got that insight, once you determine, hey, this is the avenue we want to be on, then all of the ideas that follow somehow fall much easier into place. And, you know, coming from the guy, uh, and I mean the guy, Phil Dusenberry, who we're speaking to today, that created GE's slogan, We Bring Good Things to Life. That's great advice. And I think that uh, that slogan that you created uh, many, many years ago is a great example of what you're talking about, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, we um, that, that's turning the clock back about 24, 25 years. But uh, I can think of something even more re- recent. Uh, perhaps a couple of years ago, we were trying to come up with an insight for uh, KFC, and um, we, we kind of look, when we looked at KFC, we, did, we decided that they were unlike the rest of the fast food uh, community out there, because they, you know, what they were serving were, were like more like Sunday dinner. It was chicken with mashed potatoes and gravy mm-hmm. and all those things. And our insight there was. Hey, it's not fast food. It, it's KFC, and out of that came tons and tons of ideas that followed. But once you find that that you cross the threshold of that insight notion, uh, things just somehow fall in its place. And uh, and I think that was an example where that happened. Well, and uh, you know, Ray and I have talked often here on the show about how many fast food uh, companies try to be something that they're not, and you uh, very eloquently point out that. You, you figured out what KFC does and does well, and then you build off of that. And the point about the We Bring Good Things to Life slogan of 20, 3, 4, 5 years ago, I think, is its longevity, Phil. Uh, you know, the fact that you you had an insight to a brand that was able to be uh, uh, built upon and uh, and continued in a consistent effort 
uh, over the years and stood up uh, over the years. How often do you find that today's young creatives uh, are able to not only get an insight, as you described, but more importantly, uh, a client willing to stay with uh, a, a concept such as you were able to do with GE and many other successful advertisers do uh, o- over the uh, long haul. I, I see that a lot, lot changes a lot quicker nowadays than before. Well, one of the great one of the great tragedies I think is uh, is when a client pulls the trigger on a campaign that's still pulsing with life and still has the potential to really, you know, do a much better job in the future. I, I think clients and ad agencies get tired of their advertising a lot faster than the consumer does because, after all, they're, they're living with this advertising every day. The consumer is not. So we get tired of it faster. And we, we begin to pull the plug a lot sooner. That's uh, something I want, I want to continue on that thought process next hour as we continue our uh, interview with Phil Dusenberry, former CEO of uh, BBDO North America. And uh, we will uh, do that in just a minute. Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on The Advertising Show. Stay with us. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show. No one's going to call you a Hollywood queen. They will think you're a model in a magazine. But show them, baby, you're eight. You're really in shape. If you've got the average figure but don't want to look average, wear the Playtex Cross Your Heart bra with regular or fiber still lining. On the Advertising Show, it's the bra, of the, the official bra of the Advertising Show, actually. No, I'm just kidding. Play Ray Shillings, go ahead. Playtex? No. Cross yeah, Playtex, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, the back with Phil Dusenberry uh, next hour for a couple of segments. And uh, Phil, um, uh, as he does many weekends, I'm sure, is in the Hamptons uh, this weekend. So it's, it's fun to have Phil on the Advertising Show. Speaking of uh, brands like General Electric and KFC, uh, the top 100 global brands, all worth in excess of a billion, um, I, I don't see any that we represent, though. I don't know about you, Brad. <laughs> a lineup that hasn't changed much in recent years. The fourth year running, Coca-Cola is topping the list, followed by Microsoft, number two, IBM, and number three, GE in fourth. So I guess Phil did a good job. You know what I'm well, saying, Brad? Since he left, they, they've dropped a fourth. <laughs> but there's good reason to get him back in there. there. <laughs> get him back in there. Google Actually, is the first year on the list, by the way. It's pegged as the 38th most valuable brand. Who's Google. That? Google. Yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised. No surprise here. How about you? No, not at all. Hey, I yeah. never I didn't get a chance to ask you before the show today. What are we looking at this week? Is is uh, the good or the bad stuff? We're doing the good. Well, good. This yeah. is nice. So Doug can pull the uh, the the cart out of the rack. Oh wait, we don't use those anymore. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> exactly. Every week we look at the upside and downside. This week it just happens to be something good. And now it's time for the Advertising Show's Advertising Showcase, an outstanding example of on-target advertising for the good stuff. Here's Ray and Brad. So what are we looking at? Looks interesting. Well, ironically, it's some work coming out of BBDO New York, uh, Mitsubishi, title of the TV spot, King of the Hill, and this was not uh, arranged. It just kind of happened. If you haven't seen this spot, it's... uh, a great spot for Mitsubishi, and just a quick, uh, quick uh, retake on the spot. The, uh, the spot opens with a flyover view of a mountain range, 
and then a quick cut uh, to a fast-moving view of a Mitsubishi truck driving down a dirt road. Uh, next, you see a, a truck practically going vertical up the side of a mountain, and, the net, and now we see the truck bouncing down a dusty road. And uh, this is all building up to uh, two trucks meeting at the top of this mountain. And the Mitsubishi truck we've been following uh, going up the side of the mountain along with another generic-looking black truck begin to square off head-to-head, kind of like a a bullfight, Ray. And uh, one moves uh, forward a few feet, and then the other truck does the same as if they're taunting one another. And here we come to the fun part. Uh, All of a sudden, the the black truck starts making a hissing noise, uh, only to have something underneath the engine begin to squirt out on the ground, obviously signifying the black truck was so scared of the Mitsubishi truck, it wet its pants, or in this case, wet its engine, I guess. <laughs> but uh, the, the spot continues on as the uh, voiceover announcer says, the new intimidating Mitsubishi Raider. Uh, and then we see the uh, red uh, Mitsubishi that's been featured throughout the spot drive off. And the voiceover continues, available 230-horse V8 and the most towing capacity in its class. And the spot ends with Mitsubishi driven to thrill. Now, the the problem with most truck spots uh, that I see, I don't know about you, Ray, is that they try to show the rugged performance of the vehicle, but they often seem to be blending like uh, blending in together like all the other factory truck spots, and uh, they begin to look the same after a while. But what we have here is Mitsubishi, who who has truly, uh, with the help of their agency BBDO, ext- uh, distinguished themselves in a in a in a great way with a, a spot that demonstrates the rugged performance of the new Mitsubishi Raider, but it also pulls it off with a touch of humor. And each of the spots, as as you develop this, uh, per, they develop this personality, if you will, of, of their own. The red Mitsubishi Raider, uh, of course, comes out on top as the hero featured in the spot. And, of course, in every adventure story, there must be a villain and there must be a hero. In this uh, Mitsubishi spot, of course, we have both. Uh, a great truck spot uh, that truly differentiates itself from all others, delivering on the brand experience that we were talking to Phil about. Uh, you'd expect to... Uh, have from a truck, and in this case uh, with a Mitsubishi Raider. So congratulations to Mitsubishi and their agency, BBDO New York, for being this week's Advertiser Showcase Item of the Week. week. Now, how many truck spots, especially uh, here in Texas, do we see that, let's see, it's it's driving down a road through a mountain in the hill country, towing something, Right. Um, although the, uh, what was it, is it the Dodge Ram, the new one with the the big axe guy, the... uh, Oh, whatever his name, Paul Bunyan. Yeah, yeah, Ooh, that, that's kind of cute. But for the most part, yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I like the, you know. There, there's hit it, and then there's uh, zoom, zoom, zoom. With mm-hmm. those two lines themselves, uh, of all the automotive advertising I see out there, those two lines uh, really distinguish themselves, and it's a good example of how. Uh, a couple of automotive uh, advertisers have remained consistent over the years and mm-hmm. and, uh, and and have uh, developed an idea that has become meaningful to their message and and been able to maintain consistency which as Phil pointed out is not always easy to do with your clients exactly there's yeah. on, on the subject of cars as well Ford is has a new thing called the uh, fusion I don't know what that is. Do you know that? I don't a know. Car? Yeah, it's a, well, I don't know. Maybe a truck. Who knows? Probably a car, though. Uh, it says Ford is pitching Fusion to the Wired Generation. This is from Brand Week. Uh, Joseph Kahn, who is the director of music videos, did for U2, Moby, and Eminem as part of the creative team behind a campaign for, for the Ford Fusion. It's uh, J. Walter Thompson venture as well. So that could be interesting. I think it's really neat when they reach out to folks like that. If you want to hit a target, why not take advantage of, of creatives who may not be doing something in the advertising vein? 
Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, sp- speaking of New York, uh, this you know, say what you will about Stern and, you know, whatever, just 11 well, weeks now. man's smart. I mean, come on. Well, <laughs> yeah. Just 11 weeks now before he leaves to go to sa- uh, Sirius Satellite Radio. This just blows me away, Ray. 11 weeks before he leaves, and Infinity Broadcasting still has not said who will be replace- replacing him. Right. Advertisers across the nation who, who spend more than $100 million each year to buy spots on Stern's radio show are saying they aren't willing to buy time on a show they don't know. Congratulations. Who would? It's fourth quarter right now, Ray. Yeah. Placing uh, first quarter buys is not unusual for this to be going on right now. So mm-hmm. despite uh, uh, persistent reports that uh, Rocker, I don't know if you've been hearing about this, David Lee Roth and comedian Adam Carolla are the biggest of the uh, five or so that are promised replacements. They're going to regionalize this, by the way. They're going to have one on uh, on the East Coast and one on the West, is the rumor anyway. Infinity refuses to announce its choice, uh, and candidates in other cities uh, are included as far as the rumors. Colin Quinn, actor David Cassidy, and magician Penn Gillette. Hmm. Of uh, of the Penn and Teller, Teller right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, you know, to be—I <laughs> don't know about you, Ray—but to be waiting this long to be making the announcement, what in the world yeah. could they be thinking? Well, they're confused. They haven't made up their mind yet. I really think it's sad to to think that they have to find a replacement for him, uh, because uh, well, it reminds me of the be the show Bewitched so many years ago when the first oh, Darren went away. Darren, then you had yeah. Darren too. Yeah. Um, it uh, it's like, what are you doing this for? You know, you don't replace Howard Stern. You don't replace him. He's going to go right. someplace else. You don't Just replace him. Create something create new. Create something right? different. Yeah. yeah. So quit talking about replacing and finding somebody to uh, uh, to be a quote unquote Howard Stern. Just get on with something different. Yeah. Whoever the one hundred million dollar advertisers were last year and this year will not necessarily be the same advertisers next year because you know the draw was. Uh, was different than whatever his replacement will be. Uh, and as an aside, I happen to know personally an advertiser out of New York that uh, had the chance to advertise on Stern's program, and he says the guy is very businesslike, very cordial, very nice, and always asks this guy, what can I do that I'm not currently doing for you with your live endorsement spot? So he does have a business side to him that's uh, Absolutely. His, not, not a lot of people see. He has no morals, and his uh, taste is <laughs> yeah. a bit in the gutter, but, uh, but right. beyond that, the man is very smart. And yeah. uh, there's there's a bit of integrity there, which is really kind of cool. So say something nice about Howard Stern. Unbelievable. Well, yeah. We've got, um, we've got um, Phil Dusenberry coming back with us next hour, former chairman of BBDO North America and author of Then We Set His Hair on Fire. That's a good read. That's worthwhile going to the, uh, the bookstore to get that. And uh, we'll talk with uh, Phil uh, next hour, as I said, in just a, uh, about 15 minutes from now. Much more to come, too, with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on The Advertising Show, being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show, a big radio midgets production. Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Welcome back to hour number two of The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show is a big radio midgets production. Also want to invite you to go to our website. We are actually doing the uh, the RSS podcast stuff now these days, and you can actually uh, pick up uh, 
a current program uh, or even a past program and share it with your friends, take it with you wherever you want to go. So that's the advertisingshow.com. It's a good source for lots of stuff going on in the ad business, ad marketing business. This hour, Joe Jaffe joins us, Andy Borowitz, our wacky world of marketing as well. And, of course, a special guest out of the Hamptons, Phil Dusenberry, former chairman of BBDO North America and author of Then We Set His Hair on Fire. You want a good title on a book? That would definitely get me interested in finding out what's he talking about. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that as well. So, You know, it's, this is interesting. This is out of, uh, oh, what is this, um, Progressive Grocer Magazine. I know you oh, get yeah. that at the office, right? Sure. Um, and I wonder why it's taken him so long to do this. And with that said, here's the story. Hormel Foods has debuted its first Spanish-language TV advertising campaign in Los Angeles. That makes sense. Using the tagline, Sabor de Calidad, Spanish for flavor of of quality. And interesting. It says, Hormel introducing Hispanics to its line of meat products with a humorous ad running on all major Spanish-language stations in the Los Angeles a region feast featuring a mischievous young boy described as El Comilón. So, anyway. Well, so. you're right. It's long overdue. Yeah, it's like, so what were you waiting for? Yeah. What were you waiting for? Well, I guess the what the uh, 2000 census has been out for five years now, and that's uh, kind of really what put uh, Hispanic marketing on the map as we've had other Hispanic marketing uh, experts here on the show. Sure. And by the way, you, you mentioned the RSS and I, uh, and uh, podcasting feed th- through the advertisingshow.com. I was looking at some statistics uh, just before we went on the air today, and uh, gosh, we are, we are uh, gaining uh, listeners uh, daily and weekly with our new postings on a variety of directories worldwide, and I wanted to say buonasera or buongiorno to all of our Italian listeners, because for some reason, I don't know why, uh, we have had a number of uh, Italian uh, Hmm. Italian visitors to our site downloading our webcast, and I, I'm, I'm believing Ray that we're we're posted on one or several websites uh, uh, in Italy, and that's why we're being passed along. Or it could be by word of mouth. Who knows? But uh, welcome our listeners worldwide who listens through who listen through the advertisingshow.com. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting, Ray, and I, I know we've talked a lot about this on the show earlier this week. More than twenty of Britain's most prominent chefs and food writers wrote a letter to Prime Minister Tony Blair calling for an end to junk food advertising aimed at children. They're they're supporting the Children's Food Bill, which will be presented to Parliament on October 28th, even if the bill does not come uh, become law, it's expected reactions uh, on uh, restrictions, I should say, on the food and drink advertising industry to children are certainly likely to be tightened. Concern over children's eating habits and the way children are marketed to hmm. has been exploding in Britain this year, in part due to British chef Jamie Oliver. We know Jamie Oliver uh, and his series of uh, the uh, naked programs. Chef. Yes. yes, Naked Chef, a uh, hmm. series of programs highlighting the lack of nutritional knowledge among kids and the poor quality of food served in schools throughout uh, the UK. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's good to see that both the chefs and the uh, media, those media writers, food writers, are getting behind this uh, need to to make some changes in the UK. I I wish that maybe we should do that, huh? Hmm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, there goes uh, $50 million in advertising uh, around um, the top 20 markets nationwide. We could never do that. We can't afford to do that. No, we really can't, can we? But what we need to do is just have parents take more of an active role in what their children eat. 
Yeah, what a concept. Look, at we grew up uh, eating most anything. Right. Nobody complained about McDonald's ads back then. Come on. Well, it was a special treat. It wasn't an everyday affair. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Although the McDonald's food has gotten a little bit better as well over the years. I mean, think about it. We had a, we had a hamburger. Well, maybe not much better. A hamburger, <laughs> <laughs> fries, and a, and a chocolate milkshake. So, and we did okay, yeah. didn't we? Well, and the size the size was a little different, I think. You know, you you know had, you're right about that. It was a smaller yeah. burger. You're you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And they had one one size of fries. Small. Remember? Small. Yeah. And boy, did Regular, they taste good. Whatever. They still yeah. taste good. Too. Yeah, they do do fries well at McDonald's. I will say that. <laughs> Soy burger's bad then, too. Exactly. They, they just don't work, you know? And yeah. just can't get them done. Uh, here's something. You were at Walmart. You said you were at Walmart earlier this afternoon. Um, I did say that. No, you didn't? Oh, I thought you did. No. Oh, you're headed but there will, after the show. I will show. go there if you like. Oh, yeah, okay. I'll go after the show. Sex sells, even at Walmart, which is interesting. In, introduced this summer the Johnson & Johnson line of KY Touch Massage Oils flying off the shelves at Walmart's store. Where do you find this stuff? <laughs> well, I don't know. I just look it up, you know. <laughs> you should reread this stuff before you go live on the airway. Helping right? to double sales for the entire KY brand. I thought you'd well, be happy. Course. Don't you own KY stock? I thought I've you did. I've got coupons. You've no, got I coup- have coupons. No stock, though, just I- coupons. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Johnson & Johnson's <laughs> vice president in charge of personal care marketing, Jim Peterson, ascribes the success of the line to marketing that issues a clinical message instead of the touting the product's ability to enhance intimacy between committed partners. That's exactly what he said. And that came out of Ad Age, by the way. So there we go. Well, that's good to remember. So if you want more intimacy, get uh, to KY, whatever that new product was you were talking about. (laughs) Right. Uh, And speaking of Joe Jaffe, see how we just segued into that? Because we're going to run out of time here before we get Phil back on the air. Joe Jaffe is a brand new feature on the show. Joe's talking about blogs today. If you dare to risk seeing the world from a new point of view, join us now for a different perspective. Featuring author and new marketing consultant, Joseph Jaffe. Blogs. What are they and why exactly should you care? Well, blogs stand for weblogs. Think of them in a way as online diaries. And just like a diary updates itself chronologically, so does a blog, except that it is reverse chronological. Blogs combine a series of web functionalities or tactics. Message boards, email, just a plain website, a homepage, if you will. But it's really three, maybe four things that I think separate blogs from anything that has come before it. First of all, it is so easy for anybody to set up their own blog. It could be your mother, it could be your grandmother, it could be you. And it certainly could be a company. It could be someone like Bob Lutz, Vice Chairman of General Motors, or Bob Parsons, who's the CEO of GoDaddy. Everybody seems to be doing it nowadays. But the three things that strike my mind about blogs are the following. They are bite-sized nuggets, they are non-linear, and they are completely two-way pieces of communication, a true dialogue. I would continue, but it's time for me to go blogging myself. This has been A Different Perspective. Featuring Joseph Jaffe, president of new marketing consulting practice Jaffe LLC and author of Life After the 30-Second Spot. To learn more, log on to getthejuice.com. It's the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. And before, uh, Joe Jaffe, what a great feature that is. And we're happy to have him as part of the uh, the Advertising Show. His feature is called A Different Perspective. What mm-hmm. was his website, Brad? I'm going to put you on the spot. Was it getthejuice.com? I think that's yep, what it was. Sure okay, was. Good, good. Uh, by the way, good news here. We just found out that, and this is good news for you, 
If you wanted a larger container or more quantity, you can go to Sam's for the KY Jelly. They have the 64-ounce <laughs> container. Right, or but you have uh, to buy a gross of them. Well, possibly so. Yeah. And, uh, they so bring that, it out on a forklift. <laughs> That's one package. <laughs> Put it at the back of my pickup truck and take it home. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, uh, I, are you familiar with IAG? IAG is a firm that tracks uh, product placement using an online panel of 100,000 TV viewers, and they came out with the top five uh, in-program placement descriptions. Zima was number one. We'll skip that. But Apple iPod I thought was interesting. Allison uh, program placement. Allison finds missing girls music player on the medium on NBC, which I thought was, uh, I saw that program, and I thought it was a very clever very interesting. placement of the of the, of the uh, unit, if you will. And they went to Home Depot and used their Home Depot card to, to do something <laughs> or something like that. Back in just a minute with more on the advertising show. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. There's just one Schlitz, yeah, yeah, nothing else comes near. When you're out of Schlitz, you're out of beer. Just one beer fits. Yeah, On The Advertising yeah, Show, we're, uh, Brad's got his Schlitz. They still make that. Glass. Uh, you know, I'm not sure, actually. I'm not sure. I'll run down to the 7-Eleven during the show and see, okay? By the way, uh, we can do that. Uh, <laughs> Phil Dusenberry is former chairman of BBDO North America. Phil was a guest on the show, and we're thinking it was in uh, in 02 uh, when we mm-hmm. had him on, just as he was retiring, uh, chairman of BBDO North America. And Phil, as we talked about before the show, is not one to sit down and uh, just do nothing. He's a busy guy, still doing a lot of stuff, and we heard about that last hour. Hope you were with us. Also took the time to write a book called Then We Set His Hair on Fire. Phil, welcome back to the advertising show. Nice to be here. Yeah, I assume that's your head on the uh, cover of your book, uh, and that was a, a, that was an economic decision because uh, Michael Jackson decided against it, or was it too expensive, or just would just soon forget about his, his hair catching on fire during that Pepsi spot. It was just uh, it was the uh, idea of the designer, Barry Blitt, who designed the cover. Barry designs a lot of covers for the uh, for uh, the New Yorker, and um, he's a very talented guy and. Uh, this is the idea we came up with, and we all kind of liked it, and we went with it. That's right. Yeah, you know, and for, for those that, yeah, it's a great title, by the way. For those that may not be familiar uh, with the, uh, back in the 80s, you personally were, were responsible for, and I'm going to give you this attribute, for bringing superstars to the endorsement uh, ranks, if you will, through hiring of Michael Jackson to speak on behalf of Pepsi and be a part of his uh, tour at that time. Give us some insight as to uh, what happened uh, the day of the shoot. You were there, and uh, his his hair caught on fire. Many probably remember that. But give us some insight as to uh, insider information on what really transpired at the uh, at the shoot without getting yourself uh, in a lawsuit, if you could. That's okay. Um, it was the last day of the shoot, and we were shooting for four days with uh, Michael Jackson and his brothers, known as the Jackson Five at the time. And um, it, in fact, was the last take of the last day of shooting. If we got this one take, we were going home. And uh, we didn't quite get the take we wanted, so we asked Michael to uh, 
make his cue a little bit sooner than he was making it. It was he was coming down these steps a bit too slow, and so he uh, he picked up the pace on the next take, and somehow just at, at the very moment, a spark went off from the pyrotechnics we were using, and Michael had worked with pyrotechnics many many times before, as did we, and a spark just caught on the top of his head. And we were shooting with five cameras, so all five cameras, you know, caught the action. And the next thing we know, he's on the ground yelling, Tito, which is his brother, and he was yelling for help. And we quickly ran in, put a towel on his head, and uh, got him to the hospital. And, um, you know, it wasn't a terrible, as terrible a tragedy as the press made it out to be, although it was right. front page news in every newspaper in the world the very next day. And... It had a blessing attached to it in that it sold an awful lot of of CDs for Michael. His Thriller album, I think, doubled in sales the next week. And, of course, it gave our commercial a tremendous boost. And, you know, people wanted to see what it was because it became, and as a result, it became the most eagerly awaited commercial, uh, you know, of all time. And uh, and so there were good things that it had happened to it as well. And, of course... It ended up uh, with Michael um, in the hospital for just a few days, and he was okay. And uh, Pepsi made a donation to the uh, Burn Center in Los Angeles in his name, and there were no lawsuits, as everyone expected there would be. And it en- ended rather amicably, and, uh, and that's how it happened. And you were able to use the footage, I understand, for a Bic Lighter uh, new business <laughs> yeah, presentation. <right. laughs> yeah. No, I don't want to get into that. You know, I've read uh, that employees joked at BBDO that uh, it stood for bring it back and do it over. And in your book, you, you talk about the ability to stop bad work is the only power a creative director really has. For the agency folks out there listening today, explain what you mean by that, Phil. Well, <clears throat> it's so easy to say yes to... Uh, an idea, you know, that you're going forward with, particularly when you have a client meeting the very next day and you've got to be there with something. And it's easy to say yes, but I think a good creative director has to really say no if he doesn't think or she doesn't think that the work lives up to, you know, the promise that uh, their own taste level demands. And um, I think the real power you have as a creative director is to reject work, not let it through the door, because once you do, the regrets are, you know, they continue for a long, long time. The, the, the smell of bad work lingers for an awful long time, much more so than having to pick up the phone and, you know, embarrassingly calling the client to say, I'm sorry, we can't make the meeting tomorrow. We've done that many times. You've got to sometimes just pick up the phone and say, I'm sorry, we're not quite there yet, but give us a few more days and we'll have this thing nailed. You've got to do that rather than let something that's not great get through your door. And uh, that's one of the, the powers that a creative director has. And uh, you've got to be very, very selective. And, and if you don't think it's great, if you don't think it's absolutely first rate, you're a fool to let, let it go forward. You know, a lot of people may not realize that you, you came up through the ranks of creative and ended up as chairman of BBDO North America, which I think is a bit unusual. Most uh, most people on the administrative side come up through account uh, management, but uh, nonetheless, a, a tribute to uh, your ability to straddle the fence and handle both areas uh, and do quite well in both, I might add. Your office was called, Phil, the Quake Zone. 
because of the fear, they say, you struck in even senior-level people. Uh, talk a little bit about how you earned that reputation. Well, <clears throat> early on in my career, because I didn't want to offend people and because I, I didn't want to hurt their feelings, I would uh, critique their work, and very often people would leave my office because I was so gentle in my critique. They left my office not feeling exactly what it was that I was trying to convey. They didn't quite know how to take my my criticisms. And they didn't really know that I, you know, really disliked what it was they were showing me. And I discovered somewhere along the way that this was a, a fool's errand, that you've got to let people know exactly where you stand. You've got to let people know the work isn't where you want it to be. And so I just took a different tack many years ago, and that is simply to be very blunt and very forthright, not to attack the people who are showing you the work or who created the work, but to attack the work itself. And you've got to be very, very direct and very forthright about it. And as a result, people knew that once they came into my office, you know, it had really better be great. Otherwise, you know, it would make for an unpleasant rest of their day. And that's why the quake zone sort of uh, took on a, a life of its own. People just yeah. knew that it better come up with the goods or don't show up at all. <laughs> we'll leave that at that and take a break here with some hopefully good stuff coming up here on the Advertising Show. Got another segment to spend with, uh, spend with Phil Dusenberry, former chairman of BBDO North America and author of Then We Set His Hair on Fire. And we heard that story just a few minutes ago. Back in just a minute with more on the Advertising Show. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. A Sunliner convertible moving in sunlight and shadow. Lean back and look. There's a, there's a good spot where you need to have the pictures to go with it. Uh, it really doesn't play out on radio, but it was a Sunliner. <laughs> And nobody seems to know what a Sunliner is or was, so obviously it didn't sell many. (laughs) It's in a a museum somewhere. It was a car, yeah. Yeah. It was a Sunliner car. Very nice car. Before we get back uh, with our interview with Phil Dusenberry, former chairman of BBDO North America, every week we uh, we take a look at the the flip side of marketing. We call it the wacky world of marketing. And Brad, this will this will touch you. You are a wine box aficionado. I know that. Let's listen wine to box. it. Wine yeah. And now it's time for the wacky world of marketing. Wacky world of marketing. Here's your host, Bruce Abbott. Our wacky update heads to the wine cellar, where AP asks, "Would you like that wine in a bottle or in a box?" According to a marketing information company, more and more people are preferring the latter. A.C. Nielsen says sales of premium-priced three-liter boxes are increasing faster than any other segment. Industry consultant John Fredrickson says boxed wines are appealing to the growing number of Americans who drink wine more regularly. He says they want something that doesn't need uncorking and will last longer than just a few days. For the record, boxed wines are not really in boxes. They're actually bags in boxes with spigots that keep the air out, keeping the wine from oxidizing. 
And that, my friends, is the wacky world of marketing. This program was written and produced by Bruce Abbott, executive producer of The Advertising Show. Join us next time when we uncover the strange, the bizarre, and unfortunately, the true wacky world of marketing. Did you get your choice of red or white? Red or white? Well, you know, box cutters are fast replacing corkscrews. <laughs> or maybe they will. I don't know. Yeah, you know, we have lots of we have from time to time have well, first of all have lots of great people on the show uh, uh, over the years here. But every now and then you hit the mother load. Well, today we hit the mother load. Yeah, he just happens to be in the Hamptons this weekend. Phil Dusenberry, former chairman of BBDO North America, author of Then We Set His Hair on Fire. Phil, welcome back to the advertising show. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here. By the way, there's one uh, P.S., one upside to uh, all this talk about rejection of work and uh, the quake zone and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. When you send people back having rejected their work, creative work, something good happens. They tend to raise their sights. And what happens is, at the end of the day, they come in with better work than mm-hmm. they originally came in with. They become heroes. They, they are now looking at work on, on television, on radio, or in print that is far better than they would have imagined it to be. So there's a tremendous plus and upside to rejection. It makes you go back and reach down and reach back for something extra. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you can come up with something that's really wonderful, and that's more often than not, what happens? Well, that's well said, and uh, I think that for those in a position to give approval or rejection to creative, and of course those those creative directors out there usually are, are part of the team that goes in to present that creative, so we would think, and you would hope, that creative directors do not accept uh, mediocre creative just because they're up against a deadline. Many uh, many deadlines do dictate uh, the... the uh, uh, summation of work and unfortunately the uh, compromise of certain standards but as you point out it's better Phil to uh, to pick up the phone and ask for a delay on uh, a date that we were scheduled to present than to present mediocre creative you know the last time we spoke with you a few years back I found it very interesting and I read it as well of some insight that you were able to give us to a typical day as chairman of the one of the largest uh, ad agencies in North America. You, you, you do with you, you deal with companies such as Visa, FedEx, HBO, Pizza Hut, Pepsi, of course, and many others. Uh, uh, give our audience some insight as to a typical day for Phil Dusenberry when you were once the uh, chairman of BBDO North America. Well, you know, it's a funny thing, and one of the things I've always enjoyed about advertising, particularly on the creative side of advertising, having come up as a writer and then eventually a creative director. But is that you never know from one day to the next. You never know when you walk through that door at 9 or 9.30, whatever time you come to work, you never know what the day is really going to bring. It could be the beginning of a wonderful new campaign. It could be the uh, acquisition of a great new account. It could be the loss of of an account. You just don't know, and I've always loved that about the business, the fact that you never really know exactly what's going to happen that day. And so a typical day for me would be to come in and, um, you know, first of all, I want to know how, how my clients are doing and how they're feeling, and um, some clients give you the information a lot quicker. For example, if you have a fast food uh, account, they get their report card every Monday morning. Uh, they know exactly how their sales did over the weekend, and you get those results pretty quickly. So 
So I'd like to get the, an update on what's happening with my clients. What's, what are the results? Are we, are we gaining business? Are we gaining share? Are we losing share? What are we doing that is making our clients happy or making them unhappy? So that, that occupies a, a sizable chunk of a, of a morning. And then I like to begin looking at work, begin to review work for perhaps uh, a campaign that's going to be shown the very next day or the next week. And that can occupy an entire day. You can look at three or four uh, campaigns for uh, a client and uh, take you right through till six or seven or eight o'clock at night. And that's why uh, the old uh, thing about uh, three hour, three martini lunches really doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. More often than not, uh, creative people are going to be huddled around a sandwich somewhere, working on the latest campaign that they have to show the very next day or the day after. So uh, it's, a, it's a work-oriented, uh, intense work-oriented uh, kind of environment. And uh, that's one of the things that I think good creative people uh, uh, thrive on. And how often would you have client contact where you just pick up the phone and call the uh, chairman of PepsiCo or, or maybe uh, some other client and just have a conversation with them about how things are going? I would say that probably occurred just about, with rare exceptions, that would occur about every single day. Uh, you would talk at least to one client during the course of the day, and usually it's uh, two or three or perhaps even more, uh, depending on what's going on. And uh, as I've mentioned in my book, it's always good to try to get as high up on the corporate ladder as you can. It's good. To, you you want to talk to chairmen and CEOs of companies because they're the people who are really, in the end, calling the shots. They know their brands better than anybody in that company. And... Um, and that's why it's really good to try to, you know, uh, you know, not only gain their confidence, but have their ear and listen to what they have to say and what you have to say to them. You know, we have about three minutes left in this segment. You had an interesting uh, uh, portion of your book attributed to the work that you did for former President Ronald Reagan. Uh, you were a part of the uh, team that created the campaign for him. There was an incident where he walked into the room and you had some, quote-unquote, client contact at that point. Uh, share with our audience, if you would, Phil, that, that interesting story. Well, this is the first time we had actually been uh, at the White House. We were get gathered there to have a strategy session to sort of understand what it was we were going to do that day and what we would be doing for the next three or four months. We had our entire creative team assembled, and uh, as we're discussing what the issues are, in walks President Reagan, and he had this great sense of humor and this twinkle in his eye, and the first thing he said was, um, I understand you guys are selling soap, and I thought you'd like to meet the bar. <laughs> and, so and it broke the ice, and, and he was great. And from that point on, we had a wonderful working relationship, and uh, he was wonderful to work with. He was, uh, Of course, he had his training as an actor, and that helped tremendously, too. His timing was also perfect and impeccable, and it, uh, it really made for our shoots, uh, made them a lot easier, and they went so smoothly. You know, I think that that, that reaction or, or that comment by President Reagan really gave some insight. You were speaking of insights earlier that uh, he really, truly understood that he, as a politician, uh, a was a brand. Yeah. No one you say, that, Phil? No one knew the power of communication better than he did. And, of course, Mike Deaver, who was his deputy chief of staff, uh, these guys really understood what it meant to really communicate in a very powerful way. 
Phil, we are out of time. We thank you for the stories and the, uh, the, the, uh, the things you shared with us over the past couple of hours, and thanks for being a part of the advertising show. Thanks for having me on. It's Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, and we'll be back with more in just a moment. Stick around. Decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is the Advertising Show. Hey, 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 that supply of Ritz seems on the fritz. No, no, stop, darling. Don't blow your top. I always keep another box handy. Dandy. He knows Ritz crackers are richer, crisper, and his mouth is. It's the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. About to wrap up this, uh, this segment and this show. Great talking with uh, Phil again. Such a, a nice person to have on the show. So many good yeah. stories as well. Go so, buy his book. Go buy his book. Buy two. What did you say? Uh, something like that, yes. Uh, we've got Andy, Andy Borowitz coming up here uh, momentarily uh, as we wrap up this week. Let me look at who we have next week. I have it here somewhere. Oh, here it is. Jeff Bell, Vice President of Chrysler and Jeep Daimler Chrysler. And uh, we're going to talk to Jeff uh, next week. It's going to be the 23rd already. My goodness, hmm. where is this month gone? Hmm. Here in the Houston market, tubes. here in the Houston market, we're very happy to see the month of November come. You see, it's like I don't want any more hurricanes. Thank you very much. And uh, <laughs> it, it, it looks like we're going to make it. The Probably shouldn't have said anything, season. huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, also, if you're following the uh, the Astros game, and let's see, if you're one of the let's see, Doug and me and uh, and Lee. Here at the studio, and of course you, Brad, not watching or listening to the Astro game. Uh, what's the score? One to one, and it's in the top of the seventh. Okay, bottom of the seventh. Okay, very good. So you could just be tuning in, and just it started now. Exactly. One to one. Exactly. Yeah. So even though it's not a, probably an exciting game with lots of runs, but it's still it's one to one. Right? Maybe it's yeah. going to be another one of those eighteen-hour games or what? Are eighteen like last games. week, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, two on with one out the Astros have. We are getting play-by-play from Doug here. I like that. This is wonderful. Uh, this is, you know, uh, Phil came up with the, the slogan, we bring good things to life, uh, the, the GE thing. And they recently uh, got rid of that. What was it? Imagination at work, I think they're using right. now. But here's something. Uh, the California Milk Processor Board. Now, what, do you, what is milk known for mostly? What, uh, what milk. Well, not, not, not the phrase, but what is it known for providing? It Building provides calcium. Calcium, calcium right. Yeah. The California Milk Processor Board is dropping calcium claims from a new ad campaign that instead touts such benefits as muscle building and maintaining bone strength. And what they're suggesting here, there's a brand consultant, uh, says milk owns calcium and is giving and giving it up is a terrible mistake. That's out of the Wall Street Journal. I think they're right. Can you believe that? No. They're dropping the calcium uh, from their, 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 the claim, calcium claim from their things. And, and why is, what's the strategy here? Oh, just to hit a different, uh, you know, different tack here. Muscle building about, and maintaining bone strength. How about that it's white and creamy? <laughs> There's something different. Yeah, I guess. That probably makes as much sense as what they're going to plan on you, as you see. There you go. Nick <laughs> hey, Lachey, go, yes. go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, the next time you're in a bar or a restaurant, uh, you could be receiving unexpected assistance, you might be thinking. Uh, and it's true. During your next uh, trip to the bathroom, thanks to the latest from TELUS high-speed Internet ad campaign, using soundboards and e-boards of trickling water, sounds, and cascading fountain images, the campaign, 
Are you ready for this? Yeah. Headlines tells viewers to go faster and with more than 50 e-boards and 90 soundboards, which will be posted throughout urinals and behind stall doors in various Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton bathrooms, the LCD screens are equipped with looped audio, video footage, as well as soundboards, which have motion-triggered sound clips hmm. of flowing water that run for 30 seconds. The e-boards will remain in bathrooms throughout the fall. And DDB uh, Canada, Vancouver, developed the campaign. So uh, next time you hear that little trickling, it may actually be coming from an e-board or a soundboard in the bathroom and not your neighbor. That's well, it's probably better. <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. Well, let's let's check in with Andy Borowitz on that note on the advertising show. Hi, this is Andy Borowitz for the advertising show, and now here's this week's feature from the Borowitz Report. In the latest setback for a troubled government agency, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, acknowledged this past week that it had been too late to save the marriage of singers Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson. At a press conference in Washington, D.C., a red-faced R. David Paulison, the interim chief of FEMA, admitted that the agency had been caught unaware by the celebrities' marital woes. I thought everything was fine with them, Mr. Paulison told reporters. The first I got wind that they were having troubles was late Tuesday morning. Once the FEMA chief learned that Ms. Simpson and Mr. Lachey were on the rocks, it took the agency a full 24 hours to dispatch an emergency marriage counselor to their home in L.A. But by then it was too little too late, FEMA's critics charge. Those same critics allege that amid the turmoil in the agency in recent weeks, someone had allowed FEMA's subscription to Us Weekly to lapse. At the White House, President Bush expressed surprise that the marriage between the stars of MTV's newlyweds was coming to an end. Who could have guessed that Nick and Jessica's wedding vows would be breached? For his part, FEMA's Paulison said that the agency had learned its lesson the hard way from the Nick and Jessica breakup and would be better prepared the next time. We're going to be monitoring Ashton and Demi very, very closely. Elsewhere, Apple Computer introduced the first video iPod this past week, expected to be popular among porn fans with excellent eyesights. This is Andy Borowitz, and this has been a special edition of the Borowitz Report from the Advertising Show. To read more reports or to receive daily email alerts, log on to borowitzreport.com. This is Andy Borowitz saying, keep it fake, baby. Thanks again to Phil Dusenberry today, former chairman of BBDO North America. Go get the book. It's called Then We Set His Hair on Fire. And uh, Jeff Bell, vice president of uh, Chrysler and Jeep, Daimler Chrysler, will be our guest next week on the advertising yeah. show. So we look forward to that as well. So bring your complaints and all of your automotive uh, calls. Yeah, hey, how's this carburetor? You know, no, he's not going to answer those questions. No, this is not the car show. That's true. <laughs> it could be, I suppose. Why not? And, uh, you know, <laughs> ha- half of uh, America's 77 million baby boomers, of which we are, will be, be aged. So that'd be you or me. Yeah, which half? Both, well, both of my halves are, are over the 50. Will be <laughs> age 50 or older by the end of 2005. 77 million uh, marketers of cosmetics. Real estate, apparel, and automobiles finding the sweet spot lies in not treating the older boomers like senior citizens, but not like the kids either. And, hey, uh, hey, pass me a beer. <laughs> right, exactly. So I wonder how they're going to treat us, you know, if well, there's something in between. I hear that they're going to be coming out with various uh, patterns and colors on the uh, 
depends, you know, to appeal to a younger crowd. <laughs> I see. A okay. more uh, fashion elite group coming up through the baby boomers. Well, good, good. And that will also actually add uh, a new meaning to the word baby boomer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's you know that's really reaching very far. It is reaching. You want to cut that Speaking from your act depends. tonight at the, uh, at the at the Maui Lounge and Hotel. You know when you wear depends. Uh, <laughs> when you watch sporting events like last week's uh, eighteen inning uh, Astros, uh, whoever they played game. Right, the Braves. Atlanta, yeah. You you can just sit there and ask for another beer and, and never miss a thing, <laughs> including the commercials. <laughs> and that's important here in the advertising show to tell people this. I see. There's so. an extra there's an extra benefit to depends that goes far beyond the age group that they're targeting for that. So to sit through long stop sets of TV or radio commercials, well, we should have advertising show depends is what you're suggesting. Is that right? Extended innings or uh, uh, okay. overtime, any kind of things along these lines. Yes, absolutely. Okay, well that's and, that sounds and you know very I important. might be talking to you one day and say stripes or or madras, you know, and <laughs> you might be thinking I'm asking about your shirt, boxers really. or briefs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That could be interesting. Uh, thanks again for uh, tuning in today for uh, Phil Dusenberry, and look forward to chatting with Jeff Bell, Vice President of Chrysler and Jeep, Daimler Chrysler. You could probably listen in your Chrysler next week if you'd like to, uh, if it's web-enabled and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but uh, we, we look forward to, uh, to having Jeff on with the uh, advertising show next week. Reminder to go to theadvertisingshow.com. That's where you're going to find podcast and RSS broadcast stuff and a whole bunch of uh, cool information about the industry, about advertising and marketing. It's a good place to, uh, to visit. You can also contact uh, myself and Brad uh, through the Advertising Show website. Advertising Show is brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. That's a great website, too. Advertising Show is a big radio midgets production, and we will see you next week.